Hello and welcome to the Celebration Church podcast. I'm so glad you're here. In just a moment, we're going to jump into a message from Pastor Roger. But before we do, I want to encourage you, connect with us online. Whether that's following us on social media, on Facebook and Instagram, or it's subscribing to our YouTube page or this podcast, do it. We want to stay connected. And another great way you can connect with us is be our guest on a Sunday morning service. If you're here locally, come on out. We want to meet you and connect with you, worship with you. We'd really enjoy that. But without further ado, let's jump into this message from Pastor Roger. Fantastic. Good to see everybody here this morning. You guys are quiet for a second service. That's all right. I'm all, there we go. That's, you could always count on the church administrator to be a little loud. <laughs> that's awesome. Hey, um, <laughs> that's so funny. You always cracked me up. You're so awesome. Hey, um, we're in the middle of 21 days of prayer and fasting, and I just want to say good job. Um, keep it up, keep going, and it, maybe for some of you, you're like, I'm not in the middle of 21 days of prayer. I want to say, hey, we got 14 more days. Jump in there with us. Let's, let's go. Let's really just pursue God. Um, we've got people in the church that, that people come to me and they're like, hey, this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm fasting. What do you think? And um, so we've got people that are fasting all sorts of things, uh, social media, caffeine. We've got people that are uh, fasting um, anything but healthy food. We've got people doing a Daniel fast and uh, we've got people that are fasting food. I, I just want to encourage you, um, whether you're, um, whatever it is, I, I, I would just encourage you to find something in your life for the next 14 days to just push it out of your life. Um, this is not some sort of a Christian version of like uh, a high level of discipline, like I'm going to beat my body into subjection thing. That's not what it is. What it is is us saying, I'm going to remove some things that I normally turn to, and it's going to create margin in my life so I can turn towards God. And if it becomes this religious thing, like I have, I gotta, I gotta, you know, get myself disciplined. That that's a religious attitude towards it, and that you're coming at it with the wrong perspective. The idea is simply, I'm going to remove myself from the world, so I can draw close to the Lord. And so I really want to encourage you, just take it serious, do something. It, it is amazing. I was talking to one gentleman that um, ha- hasn't been a believer for a super long time, but they're fasting one meal a day, just one meal a day. And uh, for some of my, like, uh, seasoned Christians, they're like, oh, only one meal a day? No, like, that's incredible for someone that's been a believer for less than a year. Like, that's absolutely amazing. And he was like, I can't believe the stuff that's going on inside of me. Like, I've got, there's, I can, there's transformation going on. The way I'm seeing other people is changing. And, and I really feel like there's a connection there. And the truth is, there is. Um, so, and I want to give you some practical tips. Uh, if you are fasting food, if you're going to fast food for a day, uh, maybe you're like, I'm going to try that. I would just encourage you to begin uh, about f- like right before dinner, right? So actually do this. Fast starting right after lunch, and you're going to go through the day. You're not going to be hungry because you just ate a good lunch. You're going to sleep the most of your fast. Most of it you're going to be sleeping, and you're going to wake up. You're going to have breakfast, you're going to go to work, you're going to have lunch, and you're done. Like, that, it's, that, it's, that, it's that easy. Or not, not lunch, you're going to skip lunch. You're going to get a really good dinner. Um, it'll be a good way to do it. Another thing I want to say is this. If you are fasting food, practical tip, do not break your fast on Wendy's bacon cheeseburgers. <laughs> I've been there, I've done that. Um, you, see, what happens is your body, it gets rid of the, like, the enzymes that break down the food. That's what's going on. It's just not using them, so it stops producing them. So when you eat that Wendy's bacon cheeseburger, what's going to happen is that thing's going to go in and out. Like that. You're going to get a colon cleanse. So um, let's, let's avoid that. Instead, if you are fasting food, the way you break a food fast is this. You, you take something like a broth, start with a broth, or... Like for solids, I would start with something like a steamed 
vegetables, not uh, raw vegetables, nothing hard. I wouldn't do like granola that's all like sharp, like nothing like that, just something really easy for your body to digest. Not meats, just, just vegetables. Um, and I, I would start there and, and do that for a day and then you'll be fine. So <clears throat> just want to encourage you. Hey, it's, Jesus says when you fast. He doesn't say if you fast. Um, we say, you fast? And Jesus is like, no, you're supposed to. Um, <clears throat> today, I, I want to talk to you about um, just another story from the life of Jesus. His life is so incredible. And, and again, right? I said this, I, I said it last service, it wasn't intended, and I'm going to clarify. If I had said another story from Jesus, my dad would correct me right now, and he'd say, actually, it's not a story, it's an account. Uh, Jesus, the, the life of Jesus is not a story, it's not a fable, it's an account. In fact, there are few figures in history that there is more data to prove they existed than Jesus. Actually, there are none that, that there is more data to prove. In fact, Shakespeare is harder to, it's harder to prove the existence of Shakespeare than it is Jesus. There's so much inside, not just in Scripture, but outside of Scripture that proves the life of Jesus. Uh, historians around his time frame record him. He, he was a well-known individual. The real question is, what do you believe about him? And one of the things that's interesting about the stories of Jesus is accounts of Jesus. <laughs> Sorry, Dad. Uh, 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 accounts of Jesus is he, um, often he encounters these people that the Bible calls lepers. They're people that, are being healed. And for a long time, scholars have looked at these stories of Jesus healing lepers, and they've said, well, this proves the Bible is not true, because leprosy is Hansen's disease. That's what it literally, it's the, the actual disease is called Hansen's disease. And what happens is your, uh, your, your nerve endings, basically, there's a bacteria in the nerves, and um, it, it starts to swell up underneath the skin, and it kills your nerve endings. So what happens is somebody would be walking around, and they would, like, bump their hand on things, but they can't feel it. Or they'd be finding their way through the dark, and they can't feel what's going on, and they end up scraping themselves and bruising themselves. And eventually, somebody that has leprosy will start to lose extremities because they, they hit it on things and not realize they're damaging their body. And scholars have said, no, leprosy, Hansen's disease, what the Bible calls leprosy, did not exist in the first century. They say it, it didn't start until like the Dark Ages. And what they're really talking about is something like psoriasis, right? They're, they, that's, they're, they're saying it's just psoriasis. It's not what the Bible says it is. It's not such a miracle that Jesus would have healed this sort of a thing. And it's really funny when, uh, when the Bible says something and then science says, no, it's not true, uh, science eventually catches back up, like, like every time. Every time, they're like, actually, wait a second, and, and all of us believers are like, we told you so, like, it says it, we, we believe this Bible is true. And, and that's an important thing, is, is we believe the Bible is true. There's a difference between true and a fact, right? There's things that are facts. And there's things that are true. So something that is true is this. Uh, two plus two equals four. Yes, it's a fact, but it is also true. And what I mean by that is, is it, it doesn't, no matter what you do to change or what you remove from the scenario, two plus two will always equal four. A fact is a little different because a fact can be based on a situation that happened. Uh, a fact could be based on how the car accident happened. Right? The fact is, she was on her cell phone. And the other teenager from our youth group was in the house that I was in with a group of people from the church. This is a factual story. And she was also texting. And we heard a car accident outside the house. And the girl inside the house suddenly went, <gasps> like this. And I said, were you texting Justine? And she said, yes. <clears throat> That was a fact. They were texting, and she drove through the person's backyard. Fact. <laughs> but it's not a truth because it does not exist without those two girls, doesn't exist without the van, doesn't exist without the backyard. 
A fact is something that is, it, it, is, it is true, but it's based on other criteria. A truth is something that exists whether or not anything else imposes on it, okay? So doesn't matter what you do. Like, you and I could no longer exist. This building could be gone. Two plus two will always equal four. It's a truth. It doesn't need us to exist. And so when we say that God is the only one that's true, the only one that's right, the only one that's perfect, what we're, really, we're not saying no one else is real. That's not what we're saying. What we're saying is he is true in a sense that even two plus two is not real. What we're saying is he exists as a truth, whether you exist, whether I exist, whether this building exists, whether this planet exists, he exists. Like when everything else fades away, he is always true. He does not need any other contingencies to exist. By definition, God is true. So, so just for a moment, for somebody that maybe trying to reconcile your, your scientific mind with the reality of Scripture, and you're trying to say, like, how do I reconcile these? I want you to say, Christians are not saying God is a fact. We are saying he is true. What we mean is he exists outside of any other input. We mean he is the very first cause of all things. Like, you can believe whatever you want to believe or, or know whatever you want to know about how everything came to be. What we believe is a truth is he exists outside of all of those things and is the cause of all of those things. I say that to say when the Bible says Jesus met lepers, we believe it's true. We believe it's true. And, and so science for years has said, no, this, is, this proves Christianity is wrong. And what's amazing is, of course, they come back around. So within this last decade, they were discovering a tomb in the, in the Middle East in Jerusalem. And uh, I believe it's in the Mount of Olives area. And as they were, uh, actually, no, it's in um, Valley of Hinnom. So, sorry. So, <clears throat> Bible nerd. Uh, so they... They're investigating this tomb. Archaeologists are investigating a tomb. And when they go into it, it's very different. Because a typical first century tomb, what they would do is they would take the body, they would lay it down, and they would let the body decompose. So you'd have these little uh, openings for the body to decompose in. And then they would go back into the tomb, gather up all the bones, and put them inside of a small ossuary box. It's a little uh, stone box about this big. Filled with the bones of family members. So multiple family members all put in this box. And if you go to Jerusalem today, you can still see ossuaries throughout the centuries. They're still there. And when they went to this tomb, two things were very unusual. The first was uh, they, the tomb had been robbed. So all the precious things had been taken out of any of the ossuaries. And it, everything had been disturbed except for one little... Uh, alcove on the side of the tomb, it had been sealed with mud, and no one, no one had messed with this one area. When they opened it up, they discovered that there were bones inside that had not, not only had they not been robbed by someone, like, you know, grave robbers is a thing, right? Like, that's um, Laura Croft, Tomb Raider, like, that's a real, Laura Croft may not be real, but Tomb Raiders are real, like, that's... <clears throat> Uh, that's why King Tut was so amazing, because they discovered him. He hadn't, even though tomb robbers had come into his grave, they didn't, they didn't discover King Tut. And so they get in there, they find all these other tombs that have been robbed. It's, one is sealed, they open it up, the bones of the body is still in there, it's still covered in the shroud or the, the death burial cloth. And um, they found that quite unusual. In fact, it's called the tomb of the shroud. So what they did is they took the bones and they did DNA tests on the bones and they discovered that this individual had tuberculosis and he also had Hansen's disease. Why this is important is for centuries, science has said, no, the Bible's not true because Hansen's disease did not exist in the first century and now archaeology tells us that's actually false. When the Bible says Jesus dealt with lepers, there were lepers in the first century. 
little Bible nerd for you. And so Jesus, he, he encounters lepers. Lepers are people that in their world and in their culture, not only were they missing the appendages or their fingers and their toes and their nose and their ears, they're people who have been pushed out of life around them. They've, been, they've become disfigured. They're an embarrassment to the family. They're in a, a superstitious culture that believes they are contagious and uh, that, that is afraid of them. And so they're not allowed to be in the city limits. They're not allowed to go to the market. They're not allowed to go to family gatherings. They're not allowed to, to do anything to do with anybody else. In fact, uh, in the first century, in Jerusalem, they would have lived in a place, they were pushed out to a place called Gehenna. Gehenna was a big valley that is really, uh, it was the dump. It was the dump for the city where there were fires constantly burning and nothing but lepers lived there. In fact, it's the same thing Jesus uses when he describes hell. When he says the fire never goes out, the word he uses is Gehenna. He's saying hell is like being completely ostracized to a valley that's just full of smoke and trash and no one to love you, no one to support you. You're all, that's what he's describing so next time you're like driving you're like go to go to Gahina. like <laughs> sorry forgive me <laughs> don't do it that's not the will of the lord um <clears throat> that's what jesus is encountering and here's what it says in luke chapter 17 verse 11 it says now as it happened <laughs> don't do it <laughs> i love it now as it happened, as he went to Jerusalem, that he passed through the border of Samaria and Galilee. Galilee is a region that was Jewish that Jesus lived in. Samaria was a region that was inhabited by people called Samaritans. And Samaritans were quite literally half-breed Jews. They were Jews that had intermarried with non-Jews. And because of that... They were hated by the Jews. And right now somebody's like, that sounds so racist. Yes, very racist. There, there are things in scripture we have trouble reconciling, right? Like cultural biases. <clears throat> and, and in this one here, the, Jesus is going out of his comfort zone into another group of people's area. He's in the border between the countries. And then it says, he entered a certain village. I love that it says Jesus entered a certain village because it's so specific and so vague at the same time, you know? It's like asking somebody where their hunting spot is. They're like, at a certain mountain. <laughs> it's, it's very specific, but I ain't telling you. This is how the scripture reads. He says, in this very specific spot, and, and there met him, and this is interesting, that, that they are meeting him. Not he met there, they met him, ten men who were lepers who stood afar off. These were ten men who had been completely ostracized by life. Life had pushed them out. Life had been hard. They'd experienced the abuse of a life of neglect, a life of not being able to experience the good. In fact, I would say it like this. They could say, I have been robbed of my best years. I don't know if there's anybody that's ever experienced that, but you feel as though you're never going to recover those precious moments, those good times that life has robbed of you, that life has taken away from you. And it's those men that, that life, had, life through circumstances or through Whatever it might have been, the life has pulled away opportunity from them, and it is with them that Jesus makes an appointment. It's with them that Jesus goes to the men that live not only on the outskirts of cities, but the men that lived on the outskirts of two countries, on the border between Judea and Samaria, the people that lived in the outskirts, the people that don't belong in the center. I just want to say today, if you feel like you're on the outs, you're in with Jesus. Like, if you feel 
like you don't belong. You're the kind of person that Jesus comes looking for. He will leave the 99 to find the one. He'll leave the safety of the city to find just the one that's on the outskirts, the one that maybe made the wrong choice, the one that maybe hasn't had healthy relationships. Jesus is after the people on the outskirts. And what's so amazing is he, he goes to these people who, who are the outsiders, who are the unwanted. And then it says that there met him ten men, which means he makes himself available to them. But they made a choice to meet him as he arose or as he arrived. They made the choice to be present. I just want to tell somebody today, Jesus will show up. He'll chase you down. He'll come after you. And right now we're in a collection of messages we're calling pursuit, about pursuing God. But I want you to know the greater miracle is not that you pursue God. The, the more important miracle here is that God actively pursues you. And really your efforts are, are little more than opening your eyes to the fact that you, the, heaven, the creator of the heavens and earth is chasing after you, that he loves you that he sees you as good, that you are his son and his daughter. Like, that's what's really going on. But there has to be a moment in our lives where we say, I choose to meet him. He's coming to me, but I'm going to choose to be present in the moment. And there they met him, and they lifted up their voices. And they said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourself to the priests. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. These men were desperate. They, they had probably tried everything they knew how to do. They had most likely spent every dollar they had and then been isolated from their ability to create funds. Like, I don't know what it was that drove them to Jesus, Perhaps they had heard of the leper in Matthew chapter 8. They called to Jesus and said, Jesus, Lord, if you will make me clean. And Jesus said, I will. And he cleansed the leper. Maybe they had heard that he has the kind of miracle working power that can transform a disease that other people wouldn't get near. Maybe they understood that Jesus really does have compassion for those that are on the outside. And so they turned towards him. They call the master. I just want you to know today that like it, 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 it doesn't matter what your pursuing of him looks like. All pursuit of God is worship. I'm saying maybe for you, you're, you're starting out fasting and, 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 and you're like, I'm just, I'm just going to fast meth for 21 days. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <clears throat> Which we probably have some people in here doing that. This is... This is church. It's real, like hide your purse, okay? Hide your purse. This is church. But, but, but like maybe that's where you're at. And, 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 and I just want to say that is worship. That is you saying, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take everything I have in my life and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to aim it at you. Maybe today for you, you've, you've set aside food one day this week and you just said, I'm going to do that towards God. That is worship. And so these men that are on the outskirts that aren't welcomed by other people, they're, they're saying, Master, Master, just, just look towards us. There's, just, there's something about people that turn towards God, not because of what he had already done in their lives, but because of who he is. He is the master. He is incredible. They raise their voices towards him. People with issues raise their voices, church. Don't, don't ever become the kind of church that, that turns our back or turns our eyes from people that make a little bit of ruckus because they need Jesus. You know what I'm saying? Like people that need Jesus are messy. Anybody else ever been messy? Come on. 
I'm saying Jesus can take a messy life and turn it around, and it is not the Jesus kind of church that says, no, we need it super clean and collected, and we need everybody to look the same and smell the same and do the same. No, Jesus is the kind of guy that chases after people who call out to him and make a scene. Maybe we need more mess. Come on. Come to my garage, somebody. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. Jesus tells them, go to the priest. What he's saying is go to the temple, to the priest in the temple, and show yourself to them. And as they went, they were cleansed. There are times in Scripture where Jesus prays for somebody or where Jesus speaks to somebody and they're healed. That's not what happens here. What happens here is he says, you need to get to the temple. And as they went to the temple, as they went to go show themselves to the as they're going, like they're, they're running down the road and, and they're, they're like, oh my, my, like my spots are gone. Like I, I just bumped my hand on a tree and I felt it. Like, like something is changing. I'm just telling somebody, there, are, there certainly are times when God divinely intervenes in lives and heals them in a moment. But there are a lot more times when we get healed by God in the showing up in the house of God. Like, it's the coming. Like, I, God, I need you to transform and heal my marriage. It's the showing up every Tuesday at a small group with a couple people that get to know you and begin to pray with you and begin to be part of your life. It's in those moments of just arriving, just on the way, not some great miraculous moment, but in the moving forward towards God that there's a change. Like, I, I'll hear people say, like, I know the day that it happened, but I know a lot more people that can say, I don't know when it happened, but I know that somewhere between A and B, like I was just on my way towards God, and I don't know what happened. I can't tell you the specifics. I can't give you like some sort of plan of what he did, but he transformed my life. As they went, come on, as you keep coming, God will transform your marriage. As you keep showing up in that house, God can transform your marriage. <clears throat> As they went, they were healed. Keep on coming. Keep on, keep on gathering. Keep on praying. Don't, don't leave. Like, this is the importance of small groups, church. Like, like, this is a great moment. Like, the Lord meets us here every Sunday. It's, it's amazing. People get saved every Sunday. It's amazing. But I'm telling you, the life of the church is not on a Sunday. The real life of the church is during the week when you live life with other believers that can build you up and strengthen you and help you grow. And as you go, you're healed. I, I mean, you, you, you've got to have godly friends. I mean, these guys... Even though they were outsiders, they still found nine other outsiders to be with, didn't they? There was ten of them. Ten outsiders. Like, isn't that, that's the way it goes. Outsiders find outside. Like, like, you know what I mean? When you were in junior high, you remember how it was. Like, the nerds found the nerds. The, the people that play chess found the people that play chess. Like, like all, all the people play, they, they all find each other. Why is it? Because we look for people that are like us. I just want to tell somebody today. If you're struggling with addiction, you need to change the people that are around you. Yeah. Yes, they are like you. Yes, they understand you. And you come in a room like this and you're like, man, all these people are prudes. Like they've never had an issue in their life. And I just want you to know this. You have no idea the kind of stuff God has done in this room. And if you want a transformed life, you've got to get away from the, the people that keep bringing you back the same direction and change up the friend group. A friendectomy would heal somebody's life. <laughs> As they went, they, they were healed. <clears throat> I think, it, it, come on, David, let's just tell him for me. No, it's not right now. We don't have enough time. God has done a work right here. Right. And I've heard it. Like, if you feel like God is just, like, too, 
Like he does things for other people, but he's not going to do it for me. Because we do that, right? We, we believe God is. Sometimes we believe God can. But a lot of the times we just don't believe God will. Yeah. Like maybe, maybe he's able to help other people, but he can't do it for me. Like maybe he's like the T-Rex God. You know what I mean? Like, like he's a... <laughs> Like, I wish I could reach into your need, into your situation. I reach, I wish this all I got. You know, <laughs> can you get, can you, like that, that's not what he is. That's not what he is. Here's what it says in Isaiah 14, that his hand is outstretched and no one can turn it back. We serve the kind of God who can reach into the depths of your heart and change things. We serve the kind of God that even in the, the situation you think is impossible, he can get into that situation. We serve, it says this in Isaiah 60, that a little one shall become a thousand and a small one become a strong nation. And I, the Lord, will hasten it in his time. What he's saying is this, I'm the kind of God that can take the insignificant person and I can do something great with them. I'm the kind of God that can take the thing that, that nobody has any hope in and I can make it into something beautiful and I'll do it in my time because I'm the kind of God that can do anything. I'm just telling you, you serve a great God. You serve a great God. And when Jesus shows up for these lepers, he doesn't show up without his tool bag. You know what I'm saying? Like a, like a workman that shows up without his tools is like just a most annoying thing in the planet. Like, it's like, come on, why don't you got your bag? That's all Jesus. Jesus is never missing his bags. When Jesus shows up, the weight of the universe rolls in with him. Like all that he has shows up when he shows up. And that doesn't mean like some sort of a comic book character in an action Bible. What it means is the creator of heaven and earth, the one who by his mouth speaking the worlds exist, the truth that exists before any other truth exists. When he walks into your world, all of that comes with him. I'm telling you, he's got what you need. It was 2005 in Billings, Montana. A little boy, he was three years old at the time. His name was Carter Ingstrom. He was playing like any other kid would play. Just being a boy, being a little three-year-old boy. And he bonked his head. No different than you and I have bonked our heads. But something different happened in his head when it happened. Because an artery inside of his brain burst. And mom and dad, dad works in the medical field and instantly recognized something was wrong. And dad rushed him to the hospital. And when he got him to the hospital, dad threw him on the scanning machine. He said, I'm going to scan my own son because that's what he does for a living. And he didn't want anybody else telling him what was going on. He puts his son under the scanner. And as he looks, the scanner goes across his son's head. And he sees the amount of blood and the way it's pushing his son's skull through the bottom, or pushing his brain through the bottom of his skull. He realizes in this moment, as a scientist, as a doctor, or as, as somebody in the medical field, he realizes, my son is dead. He may be alive right now, but he's, I've seen this before. This does, you, you can't stitch an artery inside the brain. Like, you have to have specialists to do it, and it very rarely works. And as he's looking at it, and he's thinking, I'm going to have to show my wife that, I'm going to have to tell my wife that, our son isn't going to live. I don't know how to tell my own wife. This is a picture of her. And he says, he, he says I, I went to go tell her that he wasn't going to live. And as I told her, she said, no, I, I, he's going to live. He's not going to die. He said, no, baby, like, I, I love your faith in Jesus. But I'm just telling you, I've seen this. I know what this is. This is not a recoverable thing. And that mama sitting in that bed with a little boy all linked up to things just waiting to die. She starts praying and praying and praying. And that dad, somehow, she pulled him out of his logical mind. And she pulled him into a place of prayer. And he said, I'm, I'm going to join with you, baby. We're going to pray that God is going to heal our baby boy. And so they start praying for little baby Carter. And as they're praying for baby Carter, all the doctors are coming in and telling them, like, this is great. But you, you can't let your hopes get super high. Don't, don't give yourself a false hope. And the only doctor available was a, a family general practitioner who, who had never done brains in his life. And he manages to get in there and, and remove one blood clot. 
but it was still flowing and it was still coming out and he had no ability to fix the actual issue. And mom and dad got on the phone with family and friends and said, you need to be praying right now for baby Carter. God needs to do a healing work on our baby right now. We need a miracle in our family. Our baby's dead. Within three hours, they had had that blood cut out, but it was still going crazy. So they got him on a life flight. And dad went with them on the life flight all the way to Denver. And halfway in across to Denver as they're flying, and dad's just sitting there praying over his baby boy who had been, his, his vitals had been dropping the entire time. All of a sudden, all of his vitals go right back up to normal. Everything goes peaceful. And all the chaos in the life flight calms right down. In fact, it's dead quiet in the life flight. And they're all looking around like, what is going on? They get to the specialist in Denver, rush him, rush him into the hospital. The specialist takes him in takes a big hole out of the side of his head because he plans on keeping it out so the pressure isn't there. And as he takes the hole off, the specialist looks and he sees a blood clot, but there's no blood. And the vein that they had seen through the scans that was cut is completely, in the doctor's words, unmolested. Not one thing wrong with it. This doctor who understood logic, who understood all the things, came into the family with tears in his eyes. And he said, I have no, he said, when I went in there, I thought I had made a mistake and went on the wrong side of the head. I thought I was wrong. He said, but your child is perfectly healthy and will have no, there's not going to be any problems here. That same doctor had lost another child that morning from the exact same situation. Later that week, they took him to rehab, and they said it's going to be about eight months of therapy to get this child to be able to do any sort of functioning, to be able to do anything. And they said the real test is about a, a couple, three days later, they said the real test is if this little boy is going to catch a ball. I mean, if he can just move his arms towards the ball... That's a win, and we know he's going to maybe have some sort of a quality of life. And they threw the ball at little baby Carter, and a three-year-old snatches the ball out of the air. Eight months of recovery was five days. Put, put the next picture. We just prayed for this little boy as he went off to, to basic training. Do you guys remember that? We gathered all the military around him. We said, we're going to pray for this young man. We're going to send him off. I'm saying we serve a miracle-working God. We serve a God that can deal with anything. He can, to, to whatever your situation is, he can do it. Nothing's too short for him. Nothing is too short for him. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he returned with a loud voice, glorifying God. What, what kind of voice? With a loud voice. And then it says this, he got really undignified. It says, he fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks, and he was a Samaritan. It was a loud voice. I even said, what kind of voice? You guys were loud. Loud. It was a loud voice voice because people who have been transformed or had a miracle from God in their life get loud. They get a little noisy because God has done something in their life that they can't contain. It's, we get so sophisticated. Don't, like as the American church, we're just like sophisticated. We want the music loud, but we don't want you loud. I'm just saying, listen. If you go to church anywhere else in the world where, where, they, where God is doing a work, I promise you, the people get loud. They get emotional. They get excited about what God has done in their life. Because when God has done a work in your life, you want to tell everybody about it. You want to do something incredible. Like you want to say, Jesus has transformed my life. I, I remember this girl who, uh, I went to Bible school with her. But I remember her when she was a teenager. When she was in late teens, I, I met her at a church near our church and. I remember she would worship like this. She would raise her hands like this on the, on the front row, just right dead front. She would just do this kind of a, and I remember thinking like, this girl's crazy. Like, there's something wrong with this girl. That's not how we act in church. We don't do this kind of a thing during the music. And, and, but she would just do that over and over. And then one day I heard her story. 
It changed everything. All that judgmentalism that I had built up inside of me to look at this loud person, loud about what, but what she was loud about was this, is she grew up in a life full of drugs, abuse, gangs, running the streets. She had been living all of the kind of crazy stuff that you watch on Netflix, and that's what she grew up with. And one day she met Jesus, and he changed her life, and that girl who had been strung out on drugs said, I'm going to be strung out on Jesus. I don't care what you think or you think or you think he saved me he changed me this girl in her own mind she said this she said she would she told me in her own words she said my life expectancy was this I was either going to jail or I was dying I had one of two choices I was going to be in a box or be in a cell those were my only choices but when I met Jesus he gave me options when I met Jesus he opened doors and this girl Stacy at one point in her life this girl who never thought she'd get married got married this girl that never thought she She'd have a quality of life, had a quality of life. This girl that never thought she'd have more than a pine box or a prison cell, one day God blessed her to the point that she went, she took her money, and she bought six school buses and parked them in the church parking lot. And I'm not talking about like a 1980s church growth program, let's do bus kids. That's not what it was. She said, if Jesus can do it for me, I'm going to buy six buses. I'm going to find six people in my church that have a CDL. And we're going to go into the streets and we're going to pack these buses out. And this one girl who God had done a crazy thing in her life began bringing hundreds of people to church with her every single Sunday. Because God had done something in her life. Don't, don't, ever, don't ever look your no, look down your nose at someone who gets a little loud about what God has done in their life. I was talking to one person in our church, and, and she said, I, Pastor, I don't think anybody in this church is ready to hear my testimony. And I just want to say, they sure are ready to hear your testimony. Like, that's the power. Like, we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony. They need your testimony. They need, like, don't ever say, like... We hold back like, Pastor, I just don't want to tell anybody that our marriage was on the rocks and we almost got a divorce. Or, or maybe, Pastor, I just don't want to tell anybody that I walked through a dark di- divorce and God worked through. I don't want to. No. How dare you hold that good news that Jesus can work through a divorce in your life. Like, don't tell. Like, I don't want to tell them that I was hooked on meth. Like, I don't want to do. No. Tell them that you were hooked on meth and that Jesus Christ showed up in your life one day when you didn't deserve it and he transformed your life that's what our valley needs church they don't need more church buildings they don't need more christian schools what they need is believers that get loud that get vocal that talk about what god has done in their life that's what we need i remember my dad um he was telling me this about, uh, telling this, reminding me about this just the other day. I grew up in uh, both Alaska and the Yukon, which is in northern Canada. And um, he was talking about how he had been hunting at a place called Braeburn. And uh, it's this lake, and there's a place there at Braeburn that, uh, it's called Braeburn Lodge. And they make these cinnamon, bun- cinnamon buns that are about this big. So as a kid, it was always a tradition, if we went fishing at Braeburn, or we went hunting up there, we'd always stop at the lodge and get a big old cinnamon bun that was mostly dough, let's be honest, like it wasn't great, but it was a novelty. And he was in there, and this guy was sitting there, and my dad starts talking to him, and the guy says, I'm a, when the guy figured out my dad was a Christian, the guy says, you know what, I'm an undercover pastor. Like, undercover what? Like, I'm a, I'm a covert Christian. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm going under the radar. They don't even know I'm here right now. Like, there is no such thing as an undercover Christian. Like, you're not deep penetrating. Like, you're not getting, like, penetrating the, the enemy's camp by pretending that you're not a believer. Like, that, that's not a thing. Right. What we do is we share our testimony. We share what God has done in our life. That's what breaks strongholds. So... He says, they get, they get loud. I just want to say, it's okay if people get loud in church. You know that, right? 
Here's what it says in Psalm 47. It says this, Oh, clap your hands, all you people. Shout to God with a voice of triumph. You're telling me, like, that's what, yeah. Like, you just won a basketball game? Woo! Like, that's, that's what he's saying. Like, be excited about what God has done in your life. Pastor, that's just not reserved enough for church. I will do that at the YMCA when I score a basket hoop goal unit. But you get excited about the Cincinnati Bengals, who are terrible for 30-something years. You get excited like that, but I <laughs> just offended somebody. Honey, we just found the wrong church. <clears throat> Listen. You get all excited about that kind of stuff, and then you get offended when someone gets loud about God. Come on. Like, you don't, I would love it if you would worship him with a loud voice, but don't get offended because someone else is saying, he's done so much in my life, I can't hold it back. (laughs) Big miracles provoke boisterous articulation of what God has done. When God has done something in your life, we talk about it. Let me say it like this. Stop pressing mute on, on like, what God is doing in your life. <laughs> like, whoa, mute. Like, like anytime the Holy Spirit shows up, whoa, 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 mute. Like, don't do that. Let, let him flow in your life. So Jesus answered and said, were there not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? Jesus is saying, there were ten of you. And the ones that were the chosen children of God didn't even come back to worship me. They were more concerned with being able to go back to their career, more concerned with being able to go back and make sure their their finances are still secure, more concerned with being able to to go back and see if their fiance is still sticking around. You know what I'm saying? Like, like they're more. But why is the one that I would not expect to come back? Why, why is that one the only one back? I'm just saying, don't be judgy, church. We're not going to be judgy church. Like, it's the ones you don't expect that turn back to Jesus and say, Lord, like, I know that I, I had a career. I know that I had a fa- I know. But at the end, of the, the, the end of the day, the thing I missed most was worshiping at the feet of God. And so I'm going to come back to where this miracle happened. I'm going to worship. I'm going to give God praise. And he said to him, arise, go your way. Your faith has made you whole. What I mean is, that seems weird because I thought he already healed him. No, he didn't heal him. It says he cleansed him. He cleansed him. Which means those nerve endings that created these little festering wounds on his body, that was gone. And in their culture, as long as that went away, he could come back into the life of the society. Missing nose, missing fingers, no foot. He could still come back as long as the wounds weren't there. They were scared of the wounds. And Jesus says, because you have enough faith to recognize that this miracle wasn't just to benefit the quality of your life. It wasn't just so you could go back to your career and continue business as usual. It wasn't so you could just go back to to living the same way you used to live. It was really about giving glory to God. And when you did that, that faith that you uh, exhibited, that faith causes a thing to happen inside of you that the other nine won't experience. And that man... Made whole. Yes. Made whole. As the band would come, I'm, I'm just saying, Jesus is not just in the cleansing business. He's in the making whole business. He's in the healing business. Yes, he wants to cleanse you from the guilt that you walk around with. He wants to cleanse you of the shame. He wants to cleanse you uh, of the the negative self-perception. Yeah, he does. But more than that, he wants to deal with why you 
act that way, why you think that way. The part of your identity that is fractured that causes you to keep going down those same paths, that's what he wants to heal. He'll cleanse you of your sin, that's easy. But he wants somebody that when they recognize God has done a work, he wants them to say, God, you get all the glory and I'm gonna use what you're doing inside of me to just get more of you. And as you do that, he wants to make you whole. I'm not saying you haven't experienced the trauma, the pain, the struggle, the disappointments. I'm not. It's like the three Hebrew children. They go into a fiery furnace. Everybody sees them in the fiery furnace. But when they come out of the fiery furnace, the Bible says they don't even smell like smoke. Everybody else remembers these guys in the fire. These guys, they don't even smell like it. Like they remember it differently. It still happened. It was still traumatic. They remember it differently because God was with them. Would you stand with me across the room? I just believe we serve the kind of God who is actively pursuing us. And when we take a moment like this and we pursue him, he always shows up. He's as close as saying his name. He's as close as calling on him. I'm going to do something we don't normally do, since, especially since COVID, the whole thing broke out a couple years ago, but... If you're comfortable with this, it'll be good for you. I believe there is something important about about attaching something physical with your faith. If you're taking a step of faith, some of you right now, you you are taking a step of faith internally as I'm talking. You feel it. There's something valuable about attaching a physical motion to it. And I can be a little old school. So what I'm going to say is this. If you feel like this is for you, like God wants to meet you here, like you're ready, maybe for you, you just, you need God to deliver you from an addiction or you need God to heal your marriage or maybe for you it's just I just need to pursue God like I I just feel so bankrupt spiritually without him if that's you what I want you to do is get out of your seat and go to the aisles or go to the front but if you're ready to pursue God right now I just want you to get out of your seat go to the aisles go to the front attach a physical step with the faith step there's something powerful it just takes one come on it just takes one courageous to start it come on come on come on Yes, I'm desperate for you, Jesus. I want your transforming power in my life. Come on, yeah. I need you to do a work inside of me right now, Jesus. It's not weird. People are weird. God's not weird. If you're here today... Need maybe some help with some altar work. If, if you're here and you believe in the miracle working power of Jesus, I need you to come down here and help me pray with these, these people down here. Can, can you, if you believe in the power of prayer, come on down. Join up with somebody here. Come on. In fact, if you're if you're up here, just keep your hand up so somebody else can join with you. Just so they can identify you. Put your hand up so they can see you. I just want you to just ask him what you're praying for. Because we serve a Lord that's going to, he's going to move right now. Ask him what you're praying for. Ask him what you're praying for. Now I just want you to pray for him like you would want someone praying for you. 
right now in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray for healing right now. Your word says that if there's any sick among you, let them call on the elders of the church and they will anoint them with oil and pray the prayer of faith over them and they shall be healed. So right now in the name that is above every other name, we say be healed. Right now in Jesus' name, marriage. Lord, let the, let the forgiveness break through the hardened heart right now. Let the hardened heart fracture open with some forgiveness in the name of Jesus. Lord, we call on you because you are the only one that's true, the only one that's right, and the only one that's beautiful. Lord, when we're on the outskirts, you're on the inside. So right now, Lord, I pray you'd heal. Addiction be broken in the name of Jesus Christ. Mental health be restored in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, the name that is above every other name. In the name of Jesus, Lord, you're good. You are wonderful. You are holy. Lord, we don't stand on our own. We stand for you. I pray you lift them up right now. You'd build them up in their holy faith. Encourage them right now, Jesus. Maybe when you came in today, as we were talking, or as I was yelling, you were like, I just need to be close to God. Like what what I need, like I don't need physical healing right now. I don't need some sort of mental healing. What I need is just to get right with God. You just felt like you felt like you were on the outskirts, like that border. You're on the border between two worlds. You've been walking the fence and God is saying, "I want to draw you in." And you sense that right now like you just want to get right with him. If that's you and you want to get right with Jesus, you want, to, you want to get right with God, right now, put your hand up boldly. Come on. Come on. You guys, crazy lots of hands. Come on. Listen, come on. It's, it's not hard. It's not difficult. The Bible says this. If we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart, Jesus Christ is Lord. We shall be saved. So if you have your hands up right now and you want to join me, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to explain it. We're going to repent and we're going to believe. Repent means we turn away from the things in our life we think, do, and say that don't please God. And we're going to believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And when we do that, the blood of the Son cleanses us from all sin. And He pulls us into relationship. So join me right now. Pray it out loud. Something like this. Make it yours. God, I'm sorry for being on the outskirts. I'm sorry for walking the fence and trying to be in both worlds. God, I repent of the things. I'm turning away from the things in my life that I know don't please you right now because I want you so bad. Forgive me. I believe that Jesus died, was buried, and then he rose again on the third day. And right now I'm placing all of my faith and all of my hope in him alone. Say these words, Jesus, be the Lord of my life and I will follow you every day that I live. Come on, church family. There's a couple dozen people that just made a huge stake in the ground.
no longer, I, I'm no longer a slave to sin. I'm a child of God, been bought with a price. We serve a good God, church. Come on. Hey, around here, we like to, after the preaching, we like to have a time of worship because I just think there's something good about being able to respond to what we've heard. So we're going to worship the Lord, and I want you to join us. And um, just respond to what God's been doing on the inside. This is why the music's loud enough. No one can hear what you're saying. It's why it's dim. No one can see the tears. Let's worship the Lord. Hey, I just want to say thank you again for tuning in to today's podcast. If you want to learn more about Celebration Church, I'd encourage you to go to our website, www.thecelebration.church, to find out more. Well, we love you guys, and let's continue to love God, love people, and change the world.